Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Views expressed by participants are personal. Entrepreneur, senior media executive and leader, award-winning media buyer, and one of the early advocates for mental health and wellness in the media industry, Cynthia Rubino, stops by to chat. A cassette media alumnus, Cynthia landed at the agency right out of university. In an industry where it's not uncommon for talent to move around, she stayed at cassette, climbing the corporate ladder, moving from planning assistant to media manager during her 16-year tenure with the agency. When Novus Media expanded into Canada, Cynthia was one of their first hires, and after four years building and establishing their Canadian office, she moved into teaching, where she currently mentors and educates the future media leaders of tomorrow. It was also during this time that Cynthia founded Citrine Consultancy, a firm that provides two services, the first being media strategy, buying, and planning, and the second dedicated to wellness and mental health solutions. Mental health in the media industry is something Cynthia has become very passionate about. While on the Advertising Club of Toronto's board, she founded Mindful Mornings, a series of quarterly breakfast sessions geared towards helping media professionals understand and manage their own mental health. She's taking this one step further with the founding of iMatter. It's the first ever mental health symposium for the advertising, marketing, and communications industry, and it's happening on October 7th of this year. Citrine Consultancy is all about meaningful results for strategic partners. What we do is we do media consultancy, we focus on new generation, and we focus on well-being. You're a Toronto native, born and raised there? Yes. What was life like growing up in Toronto? Loved it. It was very carefree, rode on our bikes, was able to do anything at any time, came home when the lights went on. It was very carefree, very stress-free. It was a lot of fun. No smartphones. No one was handcuffed to social media. You actually had to talk to people, right? Talk to people. We had to play catch. We had to play hide and seek. It was very organic. We just had to find things to do. And speaking of things to do, you cite playing the piano as probably your biggest interest or hobby growing up. What brought you into piano? Ironically, we had a piano in my house. No one ever used it. Don't even know how it got there. In high school, I had to pick a subject. My sister said to me, why don't you pick piano? You have a piano. So I did. I absolutely loved it. I would practice day in and day out. And lo and behold, it became one of my most successful passions. And you went all the way, like you went through different grades of the Royal Conservatory. Like what was the last grade you completed? I completed uh, grade six and I did that within two years. Did you do music theory as well? I ran away from that. I did, unfortunately, and I did not like it, which I think was the starting point of me taking a step back from piano. But I just thoroughly enjoyed listening to music. It was a relaxation outlet for me. What made you give up piano or at least stop piano lessons? I was a teenager. And so what I noticed was I wasn't going out with my friends. I wasn't going out anywhere because I was so dedicated to the music that all I did was practice day in and day out that my hands would actually cramp. And so when my friends were going out, I was home by choice playing music. And I felt that I was losing touch with everybody. So I stopped. Well, I mean, you said what, in two years, you went from beginner to grade six? Yes. 
I mean, when I was doing piano, they only ever sat those exams two, maybe three times a year. So did you do every exam for every grade or did they let you skip those? No, I skipped it. Oh God, because that would have been, that literally would have been an exam every three months. I know, I know. And it's so intimidating when you go in there. So no, I was able to go in and then right away they knew what grade I was. Even though piano wasn't really a big passion of mine, at my high school, a music teacher had a treble clef on her door. And it was one of the best things that ever resonated with me. And it said, if you can read this, thank a music teacher. Oh, Because no one thinks of it that way. as like it's a separate language that you can read. It's a universal language. And I feel that nowadays, a lot of the new generation coming up, that's what they resort to. They can relate to a lot of the musical lyrics. They can relate a lot to the musicians because they are telling their story through music. You credit your brother with being one of your biggest influences growing up. Why him? My dad worked quite a bit to provide for the family. So my next male influence was my brother. We are 11 years apart. So he truly played a role in my school upbringing. And when I went into business, he taught me a lot of uh, business deals and a lot of life lessons. So he is a very successful businessman and he is loved by all. And that's what I want. I want to be a strong business person, but I also want to be loved by all and know that I am a very strong ethical person who works well with everyone. Your first foray into the working world was in retail. Where did you start? Wow. Back, back, back in the day. Yes. So I started working when I was 16 at Bikini Village. Everyone's had a retail job. What did you learn about yourself (laughs) when working at retail? Or even right now when you reflect back, what did you learn about retail that's helped you with your your career and your life now? Customer service, 100%. It is not easy knowing that every person who comes to the counter has a different ask, has a different need, has a different complaint. And you really have to learn how to style flex your personality in order to service them. Absolutely. Retail doesn't get enough credit for that. You really can build a lot of tolerance for people will say. I would say. Absolutely. After high school, you moved to you moved on to York University. What did you study there and why did you choose to go to York? Quite honestly, it was proximity, number one, but more importantly, they had mass communication and psychology, which at the time was a double major honors. And I couldn't quite decipher which area I wanted to get into because mass communication was of interest to me and I thoroughly enjoyed and wanted to enjoy more more about people. I wanted to understand how their brain functioned. Right out of university though, you found employment. Where did you land and how quickly after convocation did you land there? A month. I had convocation in June and I landed cassette in July. Cassette was one of the Canadian juggernauts. I know they were bought out by, I think it was a Chinese conglomerate, but that was one of the Canadian media agency juggernauts. Were you kind of like in awe when they said, we're picking you to come on board and it only being one month after convocation? I was absolutely humbled by the ability to land a job so quickly. Cassette was and continues to be a leading agency, uh, Canadian-based agency, and they do fantastic work. And, and I owe a lot of my career upbringing and mentors um, to all of those that are still at Cassette. It was very challenging. They Cassette has a lot of expectations, absolutely, but they taught you everything from ground up. I had, a, I had very senior women 
who were in the leadership role, who taught me everything from humor to education, to math, to speaking to clients and understanding how to solve problems and understanding how to be fluid and adaptable and not so rigid. It's what I'm teaching now to my students. It's kind of the irony of of university is that they don't directly teach you a lot of those skills. Like my uh, my wife just wrapped up her MBA and my uh, actually at York a couple of years ago and my uncle who did his MBA there as well, he called t- an MBA a, a case study in team dynamics. He goes, that's what you're <laughs> learning more than anything else. Not the case study in front of you, but managing the people around you. And you kind of don't get that until you get to a job. A hundred percent. Honestly, university taught me to manage my time properly, taught me all the theoretical perspectives behind mass communication and obviously psychology. But it wasn't until I landed at Cassette that I had a huge learning curve in terms of how to deal with people and how to deal with the media. I knew I had a very strong work ethic, which is what you need in this industry. You need to have a very solid foundation and you need to know that you got to work very, very hard. So I had that, but then they taught me so much more. And we talked about it before we started recording. Check your ego at the door. Absolutely. Check your ego and check your arrogance. It doesn't go anywhere. You started off as a planning assistant. What platforms or media did you work on? It was 100% non-broadcast. So I literally touched every piece of business that came through Cassette from a non-broadcast standpoint. So I was able to plan and buy on non-broadcast media. So we'd say like print, out of home, digital? Print, out of home, cinema, magazine. Oh, that's right. Cinema as well. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Digital, when I started, wasn't a media. (laughs) So it was very much newspapers, magazine, out of home and cinema. I still have people ask me if certain facets of digital are going to catch on. (laughs) It's crazy some of the stuff that I hear. And with Cassette being basically the media juggernaut, of Canada, they had quite the group of clients. I mean, can you give us a, a couple that you had the privilege to work on? I had the privilege of working on Government of Canada. That's a beast unto itself. Oh, I can't even tell you the rules and regulations. Uh, it, it helped me at the time that I needed it because it was very structured. You cannot do steps three and four unless you do one and two. That was very, very good. And it taught me how to dot my I's and cross my T's, especially from a governmental standpoint, and to be very cost efficient. I also worked on TELUS. I worked on McDonald's. I also worked on small pieces of business Anything and everything, literally, that that came through the door. I'm going through some of the list that we have here. So you've got CPG, you've got automotive, you've got telco, and two different telco companies as well. You mentioned government, government business too. Basically, all of the major categories you had a chance to touch. Yes. Out of all those categories, which one was the most fun? I would have to say General Mills. Really? Yes, absolutely. It was so much fun. Working on fruit roll-up. <laughs> I was going to say cereal to kids. That's got to yes. be fun. Lucky Charms. It was so, so fun. And the clients back then, they were young and vibrant and eager and hungry, and they were smart people. And I have to say what made it even more fun was they had a little grocery store <laughs> Did they? at the base of their company. Oh, and nice. uh, they were very kind enough for us to go in. So we had so many Betty Betty Crocker stuff and snack, fruit snacks. I would just take a handful of frosting. And it run. was so fun. 
It was so fun. So speaking of General Mills, something you did with Cheerios around New Year's Day is the, it's the campaign that you're the most proud of. Take us through that. So Cassette is very high on creativity. And so when you're starting off, it, you want to be known as the creative person. And anyone and everyone who works on Cassette is so highly creative. I did my best in terms of trying to create something for the millennium, the year 2000. The one thing that came to me was Yellow Box Cheerios. How fun would it be if we could make the 2000 into the two with the three Yellow Box Cheerios? And we went ahead and we RFP'd it out and it was very top secret. And we went with Toronto Star and they never launched or they never dropped a New Year's Day edition. That's interesting. Never do a New Year's Day edition. No. If you think about it, who – I never received the paper on New Year's Day. Who's even out of bed early enough to get the paper? (laughs) Exactly. Who even wants to read? So sure enough, they were great partners and we polybagged the Toronto Star edition and the poly bag had a big two zero 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 with the millennial. It was just, it was fantastic. We entered it into the Mia's, uh, which is the Media Innovation Awards. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of like the Oscars for the. It is like the Oscars. It is, I've been. It is never nominated, but I've been. I've ate the food, drank the beer. Yeah, had fun, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, I enjoyed exactly. myself. <laughs> Unfortunately, didn't win, but that doesn't matter. What matters to me was that I was able to create something out of the box, never been done before. And that has always been my mantra in life is to go big, go bold, create that has never been done before. And I've used that systematically throughout my career. Looking back at your 16-year tenure at Cassette, you had four different roles. You kept growing throughout the company. We've got planning assistant, media planner, media supervisor, media manager. How did you go about growing within the company? Oh, I worked so hard. Did you ask for it though? Like if you saw an opening? I was fair. At the beginning, I was one of those employees that, you know, put my head down, did my work. As I got a little bit more comfortable and confident with my capabilities, I made sure that I approached my senior leadership and advised them of my goals. I think it's important for you to have a voice and be a self-advocate. Totally agree. Not enough people do that. They think that if they just work hard, that will be enough recognition. They've Mm. They've got to be loud and proud. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong because your senior person needs to know that that is the path that you want. It's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to climb the ladder. Some are just very happy at what they're doing, which is completely fine as well. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't. I was one of those ambitious person and I needed to just keep going. So the only way that I was able to do that was through the support of my senior leadership. They were able to understand where I needed to grow They made sure that I did, and they put me on certain accounts and clients that allowed me to grow. That's huge because this industry, especially on the agency side, is notorious for turnover. People think the only way they can move up to the next level is to go to the next agency across the street. No, Cassette, and I mean Cassette, still 
has people that I've worked with 20 years ago. It's true. I mean, people I worked with, like I said, 15 years ago, 14 years ago, they're still still there. there. They're still there heading up (laughs) broadcast or digital or print or whatever it is. But you touch on a good point about making your goals uh, transparent to your bosses. Kevin Smith, one of my idols, said it the best a couple of weeks ago. I was watching him speak. He said, don't wish for something, ask for it. Life is way too short. Absolutely. And you know what? You have to be a bit, not aggressive, but you have to make them know that you care and that you want it because there's a lot of other people that maybe can fill your shoes, but you have to earn your stripes and you want them to want you to grow. Let's reflect back your first day at cassette, your last day at cassette. How much of the agency or the industry changed between oh those two? Gosh, I can't even tell you. We did not have uh, oh, so now I'm going to age myself. But back in the day, we really didn't have emails or, or, or anything. We had to fax our insertion orders and we had to call everyone to make sure that the sales reps received our you know, media placements, if you will. Fast forward, now everything is digital. Now print is seen as the dying medium, which I don't believe it is because content is kink Mm -hmm. regardless. It's just our media consumption has changed and technology has revised the way in which we consume media. But all in all, your foundation, your practices, the way that you buy and plan, those fundamentals will never change. And you closed your tenure at Cassette as a as a very decorated individual. Tell us about some of the awards you picked up along the way. I am very proud. So I am, and I want to still be, and hopefully nobody beats my record, but I am the only person to have won Newspaper Day Buyer of the Year three consecutive years in a row. And that is an award that is from the sales community. So the sales reps nominate you and you're up against two or three, however many other people there are. And I won this in three consecutive years. Now, maybe, but I haven't heard of any other ad club buyer of the year win three times in a row. I looked through the records. I couldn't find it at all. Okay, good. So I'm still (laughs) still holding the title. (laughs) After leaving Cassette though, After a nice 16-year tenure, you moved over to Novus. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you did there and how you found the role, or did the role find you? The role found me. At the time, I was poached by a person by the name of Kevin McDonald, who was my sales rep at QMI, Sun Media, if you Mm -hmm. will. And we had a pretty cool relationship, and negotiation was one of my fortes. Negotiation became one of my fortes at the end tail of my cassette tenure. And Kevin was launching Novus in Canada. And it was an AOR, if you will. And he needed someone to head up the media investment team as the director. And I accepted. It was very, very hard because I pretty much grew up at cassette. I did all my achievements at Cassette, learned everything from Cassette, but it was time to move on and take those skills and put it towards something else. And you were starting from the ground up, right? Like you guys were building something. It wasn't like we've got this really big agency with a U.S. arm, hit the ground running. You you were starting from scratch practically. Well, we were starting from scratch in terms of building this company here, but the mothership was in Minnesota and 
Minnesota media landscape is very, very different. U.S. media landscape is very, very different than Canadian media landscape. So yes, we were starting fresh. And our principles, our buying principles were very different. No one ever bought the way that we bought. Um, We came under the Omnicom companies. So we were able to have affiliations and connections and partnerships with some of the Omnicom agencies, which was fantastic because everybody worked well together. But it was something, you know, unique and different to the marketplace. And it was definitely a challenge. Were you still hands-on at that point buying and planning media or were you kind of completely removed from that? Like, were you, would you say that you were the coach or the quarterback? I was both because we were so small. I probably at that time when I first started had one person underneath me and we had our scope of work was pretty large at that time. As we grew bigger and received more clients, whether it was through our partnerships or whether it was client direct, then obviously more and more and more. But because the buying practices required my abilities, I needed to be hands-on every single day. But though later on in your career at Novus, did you find yourself being less and less hands-on? I needed to because it was the only way that my team was going to learn. So I tried to step away from being in meetings so that they could understand how it is to deal with negotiations and deal with client challenges and deal with adversity. Otherwise, they would never learn. Was it difficult to back away from that though? Because I get a sense that you loved planning and buying, seeing something that you worked on come to life. I did. So Novus was 100% buying shop, if you will. Okay. And I I love buying. I love negotiating. My mantra along with you know coming up with the firsts in, in, in the industry. To me, I always told my team, no means yes. Mm. So client comes to you, a partner comes to you and says, no, you go back, figure out why and come up with another solution and get back in there. You need to be resilient. After leaving Novus, though, you did two things. And one of them is something that a lot of senior people in the media industry do. They take all of the knowledge that they've accumulated and they put it to work for themselves and they go out and they consult. You started Citrine Consultancy, but you also took up a teaching role at Sheridan College. Uh, let's start first with that. What attracted you to getting into teaching? Growing up, everybody gets that question. Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? If you had asked me this when I was a little girl, no joke, I would have told you I want to teach. And this is the story that I tell all my students. When I was at York, I was thinking midway three years into it that maybe I should try teacher's college. Let's see what happens. Do you know I never got in? Really? Yeah. So I thought, okay, maybe teaching is not for me. But I was always that mother hen. And if you ask any of those that worked with me, I was always the one trying to mentor you, trying to teach you, trying to always steer you in the right direction. So what happened was I had a lot of connections in the industry and teaching was always something that I wanted to do. An opportunity came up at Sheridan and I took it right away and I absolutely love it. What are you currently teaching at Sheridan? Right now, I'm teaching advertising, sales, and marketing. So I have about four courses. Media is changing at a rapid pace. How often are you updating the curriculum? 
oh, as often as we can, really. So what I do is as I'm teaching the course, if I'm noticing that is it a, it's a bit outdated, I will revise it instantaneously. Sheridan's very good and very smart about understanding the fluidity of the landscape. And they know my expertise and they trust that I do it implicitly. And when the time comes and the semester ends, I will recap it with my dean, my, my AD, and she will figure out whether or not the entire curriculum or the content has to be revised. But other than that, you should really revise ongoing, which is what I do. So moving on to Citrine Consultancy, what made you want to go out on your own and take your hand in entrepreneurship? I felt that there was a gap in the industry Number one. Number two, personally, I needed to press the pause button in my life because my children were growing up and I felt that I was missing out on certain things. I had been in the industry for about over 20 years. I needed a change. I really, really needed a change. And so that's why it took me a while to come to grips because I'm so used to waking up at the crack of dawn and coming home in the dark and at night and being on the go 24-7 nonstop. But it was important for me to provide more education in the industry, but on a different level. Not only are you consulting and doing media buying and planning, but the other part of uh, Citrine Consultancy is health and wellness. Where did that aspect come from? Health and wellness and well-being was always a part of me. I didn't know how strong of an affiliation I had until I would talk to people. And for whatever reason, people would always open themselves up to me. So I had a lot of discussions with people in the industry I, when I was at my senior leadership level, dealt with a lot of problems with people um, and I had to deal with it and it became increasingly higher and everybody was experiencing something somewhere. So in addition to that, when I became part of the Ad Club of Toronto board and became the director of giving, I think that's when everything unfolded for me. So you really saw a void that needed to be filled desperately. Oh, yes. It still does. And I mean, when we talk about health and wellness, though, you tried to pine- you actually did pioneer something that is pretty common practice now. When you were at Cassette, you put in the request for the first work from home day. How was that received? Oh, it wasn't. I was stressing out. I understand. If I look back, that was a big no-no. Everybody did not understand. If your face is not at the office, then you're not working. But I don't come from that mindset. I'm a very disciplined person who works very hard. In fact, I think working from home is harder because you need to prove that you are working from home and that you really don't take breaks. So when I had my first child, I wanted to work from home one day just to try to get that balance of going back to work and trying to be able to be a mom, but also be a working mom. It was really, really hard. I did get a lot of backlash from them because they felt that if I'm going to work on senior type of accounts, the clients are going to want me to go in and my sales reps are going to need me. 
and everybody's going to need me. But what I was trying to push for them to understand is that you don't physically need to see my face in order to understand that I'm you know, not working. I am working. I can still use the phone. We can still have conversations and do conference calls and I can still be efficient. And that is why when I won the buyer of the year, that was, that was part of the years that I was working from home. You touched on your work with the Advertising Club of Toronto, specifically as a board member and the director of giving. While there, you started up something that's become a very, very hot thing in the industry, Talk to us about Mindful Mornings. Ah, my baby. Yes, Mindful Mornings is so incredibly near and dear to my heart. When I had the privilege of stepping into the role, because I started off as the newspaper day chair and then later went on to director of giving, I noticed that all the money that we gave back, every little money that we gave back, was all transactional. And I wanted our money to go towards something that was a little bit more meaningful. Don't get me wrong. What we do is fantastic. But I wanted to make sure that we were able to do other things than just give out checks. Well, you definitely started a conversation that everyone wanted to have, but no one knew how to start or was afraid to start in the industry. It is. It's taboo, right? Nobody nobody wants people to know that they have issues. Nobody wants to know that maybe they suffer from something. You want to know why? Because then you're seen as damaged goods. Exactly. And this industry can take you in and spit you out. I said this to you before we started. It's like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. When you're high, you're high. You're like rolling. Everybody loves you. But when you're down and out and something's wrong, well, you know what? I need product to be pushed out and I need someone who's going to be capable of doing it. If I see that you're taking time off or that you're struggling, ah, maybe you're not so good for my team anymore. So we keep it hush-hush. We put on this face. And if anything, we're doing more damage. Especially in our personal lives because we have to unpack it at some point in our day and it comes home to our partners or our kids maybe. Oh yes. We unload it and they become, you know, the walls that we just want to bang on. Exactly. It's not fair. They become our our group therapists, even though they didn't sign up for it. And they don't understand what we go through on a daily basis. I truly believe that. That you if if you're not in this industry, you don't get the speed in which we have to deliver everything. So this brings us to I Matter. I am so super excited about I Matter. It is literally something that has been in my head for years and now I'm actually doing it. So yes, I'm launching the first mental health symposium for the advertising, marketing, communication industry geared towards professionals and new generation on Wednesday, October 7th of 2022 line up with World Mental Health Day, which is October 10. Again, we need to start talking. We have great initiatives, right? Like the Bell Let's Talk, Mm -hmm. right? We have a lot more high-profile people, stars, athletes, Olympians, however you want to coin them, coming out and telling us about, you know, even artists, actors. You'd be surprised. How many of them are dealing with just simple anxiety? Simple anxiety. And being on the other spectrum of being a teacher and being a professor here at Sheridan, I see some of these students and I see the accommodations and I see their struggles. They have a lot of anxiety. And I want everyone to know that you're not alone. 
I think we need to, we need to start talking about it. We need to lay off on that stigma, on that issue that I'm not worth it, that I'm, I have a big problem and no one's going to want me. No. You know what? You matter. And once you start framing your mindset that you matter, things will change. And you start to focus on the now. If you focus on the past, you get regret and you get depressed. You get bitter. You do. It's all the, I should have, could have, would have, but that's done. Cut the cord, get a big pair of scissors, cut the cord. The past is the past. That's why our head can't turn around and look back. We, We can't. That's why we need to look forward. But if you look too far ahead into the future, that's where anxiety kicks in. Because you start saying to yourself, but what if I can't make enough money? What if I don't get that promotion? What if the client's not going to like my plan, my strategy? What if my company does, it just goes on and on and on. And your thoughts are so powerful. You know that whole mind over matter? Yes. I'm going to challenge that. And I'm going to say, you're going to put matter first, which is you. You put yourself before your mind because your thoughts are so strong that you need to harness them and you need to be more positive in life. That's why solitary confinement is considered torture because being alone with your thoughts for too long is dangerous. Absolutely. Because your thoughts are that strong. So you need to take a hold of your life and there's nothing wrong in staying in this industry, but there's boundaries and there's limitations And you need to know how to deal with those things. If anyone listening wants more information or they want to sponsor iMatter, how can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. They can reach me through my email, which is Cynthia at citrineconsultancy.ca. And I'll make sure to put it up in our post as well. So if anyone is listening to this on wherever you get your podcast or you're catching this on LinkedIn or on mediapeople.ca, we'll have uh, the contact info there as well. Great. Okay. A couple of rapid fire questions. Favorite movie? Footloose. Why did you pick that over Dirty Dancing? Because <laughs> it's like picking Coke or Pepsi. It's Kevin Bacon, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite book? Oh, my God. So just recently, one of the uh, sessions, actually my last session for Mindful Morning, ironically, was a book called Let That Shit Go. That's a great line. Yes, Let That Shit Go. And uh, Nina Purewall is, is, is the co-author of that. And uh, she's actually going to be one of my expert discussion panels who are going to come to speak at uh, iMatter. So let that shit go. Your favorite song? Oh, I have too many. Okay, so how about this then? What is your favorite song to play when you need to let that shit go? So I've, I have a lot of genres. Now remember, I playing music right? It was all about the classical. You were classically trained. I was. I was. I love the Mozarts. I love listening to classical. I love listening to Andrea Bocelli. I love listening to boy bands and to rock. I just have this affiliation with all genres. But to answer your question, do you know what I do now? I actually put nature, spa, meditation, music, just to declutter my mind because we're always thinking, thinking, thinking. Best advice you have ever received? Quite a few things. But I will say one piece of of advice is there will always be five people ahead of you 
and there will always be five people behind you. And what that means is stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Focus on you. Don't veer left. Don't veer right because it will just take you all over the place. Just stay in your lane and take care of yourself. If you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, what would you say? I would say that continue to work hard, don't give up, and everything will work out. It always works out. Maybe not to the time that you're thinking it should work out because I was a true planner. By age 25, I had to have this, and by age 28 is this, right? But that's not life. Life doesn't, you know, make certain plans by certain dates. And sometimes things don't work out the way we want it to work out. Just know that things will persevere, but more importantly, take care of yourself. And I didn't do that while I was growing up. My signature closing question, if you weren't in media, what would you be doing and why? Ah, I'm already doing it. I'm teaching. Cynthia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Victor. That was a lot of fun. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova.